you know, George Burns, uh, when he was 99 years old, they asked him, what's the secret to being this old? He goes, don't fall in love with your pillow. Welcome back to the Interview Podcast on the Y Millbank Podcast Network here in Millbank, South Dakota. I'm Craig Weinberg, and it is a new year. It's 2021, and uh, I am absolutely <laughs> honored and beside myself with uh, the first guest that we have on the show in 2021, uh, someone that I have, unbeknownst to him, looked up to for the better part of oh, 10 or 12 years, um, and I am... Uh, I, I just can't believe we have this time. So uh, without further ado, um, the guy who is the reason that I photograph the way that I do in my business uh, and want to keep going, uh, Joel Grimes is on uh, with us here um, from Arizona, the warm country. Welcome to the show, Joel. Craig, thank you. It, I, yeah, thank you for saying the warm country because during the middle of the summer, it's like hell here. Right. Uh, and then, you know, we all try to escape and go up to where you're at. Right. So. Well, uh, this morning I left the house and it was uh, raining ice. So that oh. was exciting. Okay. And there's snow on the ground. So um, you are, uh, you've, you've made your entire career uh, in the commercial advertising world. Um, when did you start that? Because you've transitioned a couple times in the last 20 years. And one of them was um, when I first found out about you, which would have been in the Creative Live days. Was that, in, was that 10, 12 years ago? I, I started teaching and speaking about, to, about 12, 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. And um, prior to that, of course, everything I did was commercial advertising, mm-hmm. uh, traveling the world and I'm making a living with my camera. I still, in the last 10 years, have done that with, with my camera. Uh, little by little, I've kind of uh, weaned out some clients. Uh, it's a great, the greatest, the greatest position to be in when you make a living with your camera is when you can say no to a client. <laughs> and <laughs> you don't have bad. to say yes <laughs> to everything that yes. comes in the door. Yes, and you can ask what you're, you feel like you're worth, and mm-hmm. they don't, uh, you know, uh, grumble. <laughs> and so um, uh, the, the the education thing fell on my lap. I, I had not, I didn't have a plan, a game plan to start teaching. Um, I did a book on the Navajo. Well, let's see now it's been, well, let's see, 1990. So is that 30 years? Yeah. 30? My goodness. Yeah. So um, when I did that book, it was, copy, it was a national interest coffee table book. Um, it got some attention. And, and, and back in those days, of course, we didn't have the, the uh, uh, internet and um, even websites or anything like that. Um, all my exposure was through magazines, um, newspapers, things like that. There was the AOL keyword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you know, we've, we're in a different world, but mm-hmm. um, it did give me some exposure. And I did get an invite to speak uh, at t- or teach a workshop um, in um, uh, Fairbank, Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, in the 90s? In, in, well, probably about mid-90s, somewhere around there. Um, it was the first workshop I ever really did. Mm-hmm. Um, then they brought me back 10 years later. Uh, Charles Mason is the guy that uh, is the spearheaded that. And we still have kept uh, good friends. Uh, we keep in contact all the time. But um, um, that was the first workshop. And, and back then I didn't, again, even my, uh, let's say the, the platform of what I was going to sit down and teach somebody, I was not defined at all. Mm. Was, I kind of went out there and, you know, showed my lighting a little bit and some stuff. Um, it really wasn't until... Um, 
whole, well, I say like 12 years ago, I can't remember exactly when, but it was, um, I had, a, I got a phone call from uh, a guy here up in Phoenix. I was in Tucson at the time. And um, his name escapes me and I will remember it uh, probably in a second, but um, he, he, he called up and said, Hey, um, I've seen your work and, you know, I really like your lighting and, you know, I don't know you, but is there any way you could maybe sit down with me and, you know, talk about how you do this. And back then I, I wasn't even doing my edgy lighting. I was doing cross light, one light cross light. Now at that point, like, had you defined your look? Like you had a go-to oh, that yeah. you did every time? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. yeah. One light cross light, everything, all my national ad campaigns, I had nailed that. I've shot more one light uh, soft light, uh, one light sort of uh, Rembrandt lighting, mm-hmm. uh, probably than any photographer on the planet. I say that because I did it for 25 years and I shot annual reports and, uh, you know, brochures and then uh, ad work. But uh, every day I was, you know, running through clients or uh, subjects like crazy shooting that one light cross light. And it's a beautiful light. It's a gorgeous, still to this day, it's a gorgeous light. Um, but he came out and I just said, sure, come on by. And, you know, at the time I was had a house in Tucson and we sat down for a couple hours and he, he, I didn't know at the time, but he was involved with ASMP up here in Phoenix, the chapter up here. And, and then about uh, two months later, he called and said, um, hi, uh, um, his name is Rick. Rick Reynolds. And um, he said, uh, you know, I'm involved with ASMP. We would like to have you be our speaker for the um, Oktoberfest kind of event we do every year. About 100 photographers. And I said, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, and here's the funniest thing about that whole uh, thing. So we set it up. We had a day of shooting, a day of me kind of lecturing and doing Photoshop. Well, I'd never, I'd never really had a program I didn't have any, uh, you know, I had never sat down in front of a computer and taught somebody necessarily other than friends and people, people that came by my office or studio. And I remember I did a lighting demo for everyone. And then, and I was just starting my edgy lighting sports stuff. Just, I mean, literally within maybe six months, whatever, uh, three months, something like that. And, um, I got to the Photoshop part and the lights went down. We had a projector and my computer was connected to the projector. And it was now I'm going to show my lighting or my, my Photoshop stuff. And I looked at the, my laptop and my brain went completely. Oh no. (laughs) I'm like, uh, I gotta get into Photoshop. How do I do that? I mean, it was like a, just a brain freeze of brain freezes, right? And I'm sitting there and they're all looking at me and I'm like, uh, oh, Photoshop, click on the Photoshop icon. I mean, it, it just was the weirdest thing, right? And so then you know, got to where I was, you know, speaking in front of a thousand people or even in, in some cases I had, you know, the Kelby with Adobe, I was in front of 5,000 people. Um, so I worked my way through the ranks of speaking and getting the nerves out and being able to talk to people and being candid and whatever. And so now I get, I get on, uh, I do a lot of video stuff and I have to do like an intro. Hi, I'm Joel Grimes, you know, whatever. And people go, well, you're so natural. I go, well, <laughs> 10 years ago, you, were right. only, you know, so you work yep. your way through that. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, uh, practice is the key to everything. So anyways, so the teaching thing kind of just fell in my lap. One, so at that Oktoberfest, some other guy was involved in some group. He said, hey, we really like what you did. Can you come out to this group and then this group and then this group? And next thing I know, I had, um, 
you know, gazillions of invites. And so I was averaging for 10 years, I've averaged 45 speaking events a year, uh, some of them a week long. So that just has completely absorbed my time mm. of, uh, you know, so um, my client work, I had to squeeze in there. There's days I've been gone 300 days in one year. Holy cow. In my house. Um, so in 2019, well, in 2019, my dad passed away. Mm. And it was already, that was in June, he passed away. But already prior to that, I was like, I'm exhausted. Um, you saw me back in uh, 19, October of 19. Like 19, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you saw me at a point in which I could barely um, get on an airplane anymore. I was so exhausted. And then I got sick. Oh, and you were I, ill, right? I was ill. I, I showed up to South Dakota, you guys. And I could hardly get in the, the rental car. I was so, so something that was either flu or something. Who knows? It was probably the coronavirus back know, then. Right? <laughs> now they're saying it was here before we yeah. really, but I was so sick and I couldn't hardly stand up. And I remember, you know, you have to get on stage and you're like, Hey everybody, how's it going? And I was just like, Oh, and I think I, I mean, I, I talked to you for a while. I talked to a few people and then you guys had a shootout. I think the next the morning, next morning and yep. I, I couldn't get out of bed mm. and um, uh, but anyways, but I, I had already made a commitment to say no to everything uh, for, for 2020. Um, as far as travel goes for speaking travel engagements. Goes, yeah. So I, one by one, I just said, no, 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 no. Other than a Canon thing. Um, Cause Canon, I'm, you know, explorer of light. I have to be. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Just a side note. Oh, by the way. <laughs> well, it's funny that it is a great ba badge of honor. And I really, I mean, I'm, I'm very, uh, very, you know, I love being a <clears throat> representing Canon. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, now that it's been about five, six years, I can't remember. Maybe it's been longer than that. It's, it's uh, not that it's worn off. It's just that it's, it's um, you kind of take it for granted yeah. and I, I don't want to take it for granted. Um, it's a great, a great uh, honor to be a part of Canon and uh, I still support what they do in, in their cameras. I love their uh, new Canon EOS R5. Now I'm using that, but, um, um, but anyways, I had cleared my schedule for 2020 uh, to really give me a break and Here's a really, really weird thing. So you're, you got a list of things you're doing. You're doing podcasts and interviews and all this stuff that you're doing. And, and um, I don't know exactly all the stuff you do, but you have this list of, you know, okay, I, I, I need to do, you know, so many days dedicated to marketing, so many mm -hmm. days to, you know, whatever. And I would, I was always trying to update my, my videos, uh, teach, teaching materials. And I would, um, I never have any time. I was always rushing. I come in, I, I, you know, I, I didn't, my wife does all of my social media, um, but I was always behind on everything. And I mean, when I say behind, I mean, it's like, you know, if I needed a week to do something, I had, you know, four hours. <laughs> and, and I just, um, I knew I was neglecting a lot on the, on the educational side. We'll talk about that in a minute, where I'm at and where the future's going education wise and, 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 uh, uh, the future. But um, um, so I thought I need to catch up. I need to do some things. So all of a sudden here's 2020. I got a clean slate. Hold on a second. <coughs> Boy. Um, I don't drink coffee, but I, I do drink tea. I think I needed a, a, a red bull or something <laughs> right. right now. Jolted. But um, so I'm all excited 2020, you know, and uh, Canon called and said, Oh, can we need you at WPPI? I'm like, 
this is like two weeks before WPPI. I'm like, oh. Now, is okay. that is that a relationship that when they call, you go? Is that how well, that's supposed by to contract, work? Well, by contract, I have to do so many things a year, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, and so I want to. I actually love doing stuff for Canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why I like doing it for Canon is because it's, it's like I don't have to do anything in preparation. And there's a lot of events I don't have to. I just show up. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's an easy thing. They say, okay, Joel, we want you to give a talk and it's uh, do, do something that's kind of cool with lenses or something. And yeah. then I go, oh yeah, I do tilt shift lenses. That's great. It's easy. And it's boom. Or we have the new car, the, the R camera when it was introduced, talk about that or whatever. Or they'll say, do an inspirational thing. And I'm like, oh, that's easy. You know? And so I love doing that. And, and, and um, um, there's no surprises, I guess. Uh, it's a lot of times when you show up at a venue, like you go to some place in the middle of nowhere, like South Dakota, and you <laughs> Come show <on> up, <laughs> right. and, and you know uh, they're sitting on horses, going, "Come on out to our ranch." No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not uh, that bad. No, Although maybe no. some parts it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, actually, I would love that. But yeah. um, anyways, there's no surprise. Come on, you're in Arizona. That's cowboy yeah. land down there. It is. I love <laughs> cowboys. But um, so no, the Canada thing is great. But they they called and and um, I'd, I'd already uh, thought I was not going to be involved in the WPPI. So I went to that. And then that's just about the about you know two weeks after that is when it all hit and mm. the, or the uh, corona thing mm-hmm. hit um, lockdowns and everything and so it's been locked down ever since really um, so but I already had a clean pretty much a clean slate for 2020 so um, where a lot of instructors were counting on their right. speaking events right. to 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 pay for a lot of their you know livelihood. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I was not in that position and I'd already picked up a team, a marketing team, uh, web marketing team that had taken over all my tutorials. And we can talk about that here. Um, but <clears throat> so I was in a really good position. So 2020 has been a really good year for me, other than the fact that, um, you know, you, you, we have to, you know, when you, when you think about different things like getting models oh, to yeah. do a photo shoot, you know, um, but I put out. I put out three master classes. Actually, I recorded four. One's in the can right now being edited, but I produced four, three master classes that have been uh, released to the, you know, to my, mm-hmm. my, uh, uh, I guess my site, my followers and stuff. Your fans. Well, <laughs> and, and so, and that, and it, it, I did some really cool stuff in 2020 in terms of photography wise. Um, I was out shooting cowboys down in tombstone um we could talk about that i story, saw but, some of that on your instagram and i was yeah, really yeah. jealous that i wasn't down there at least <clears throat> holding your lights i mean that would have oh, been awesome yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it was some i mean it was a, a blast yeah. and it was funny thing the, the funny thing was is that because of the pandemic the shutdown tombstone was dead dead in the water oh um, but we got permission from the mayor and the marshal How? to go down uh well here's here's the thing in arizona in North or South Dakota, you're probably summer. It's, it's not as of a lockdown as say California mm-hmm. or other places. Um, and so, and most of us kind of go, whatever, you know, um, yeah, we're going to be smart. We'll wash our hands. If we're sick, exactly. we're not going to go out. Yeah. Um, so we approached them and all these cowboys that make a living. Oh, with, so these were real. These weren't like, this wasn't well, no, they're, slickers. They're, they're, well, no, they're cowboy uh, characters in Tombstone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they're, reenact. They're performers. They, but a lot of yeah. them are okay. cowboys. You know, they, in fact, we, 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 you know, we brought horses in and mm-hmm. we shot some horses and all that stuff. 
Um, but they're dead in the water and they make a living. And we said, look, I'm going to pay them 50 bucks an hour to come out and, um, you know, uh, set these shoots up. And, and they're like, they would be so happy. That's awesome. And we paid uh, um, other people to help produce it too. Mm -hmm. there that got money that, you know, I, I threw money at it. Um, and uh, we had like five days down there and we just cranked it and we kicked butt. We had access to Tombstone, the saloons, the, oh, you know, fantastic. I mean, it was incredible. It couldn't have been, it couldn't have been a better situation for me. And, you know, <laughs> we, we took precautions, we wiped things down, yeah. but, you know. Uh, but how cool to be able to set up that kind of a, of a scene and yeah. then create whatever you want. Oh, we had the founder on our fingertips. And I couldn't do that today. I mean, no. there would be, there's just activities going all the time and, and restrictions and you can't go out in the streets and shoot. And I, we had, I had everything. Hmm. It was, it was almost, uh, yeah. So, so, um, the thing about that is that I, I have not sat still in 2020. I've been very active and, um, so, and then I, I did a masterclass on still life, still life masterclass, fine art, still life masterclass. So, okay. So before we go into that, what mm -hmm. is your, like, as you think through this, what are you doing? Just something pops up and like, Hey, I'm going to shoot that and see how it works and then build well, a class around it. Or what, what's your method there? Well, so, so, well, let's talk a bit, let's talk a bit about um, the marketplace. And, and mm. as an, if someone out there is saying, I want to teach, or I want to, I know I can teach and most of us can, uh, we, we, you know, teaching is just, I always say that to be an instructor, what qualifies you as an instructor is you just find someone that knows less than you. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> or at least you can talk better than <laughs> you can yeah, well, explain you can it better. It. Yeah. You can fake it, but oh, I'm yeah. saying it's a real, I say, someone says, mm -hmm. I don't know anything about high speed sync. And I mm -hmm. go, yeah, I know all about that. I've, I've struggled. I've had to fumble through it. And I figured out the, how to get high speed sync out of my strobes and overpower the sun outdoors. Oh, okay. Well, teach me how to do that. Yeah. Well, I can show you very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, the other thing about teaching is that the bulk of people that are learning that are hungry, a sponge that want to pay, or I say pay, but they want to learn. Mm -hmm are on the beginning side, right. not the advanced, you know? So the, one of the biggest mistakes that uh, a lot of instructors, and I've talked to a lot of them and I've helped a few get started. And um, I had this instructor I was encouraging to get, get started. And he, he said, I'm going to, you know, start working up my curriculum and all that. And I'll send it over to you. And he sent me the stuff and I, I called him up and said, well, here's, here's the biggest problem you have is you want to be this. You're, you're sounding like you're trying to be the smartest person in the room. And the problem with that is that if you are really smart, which he is, there's always going to be someone that knows more about a topic than you do. Mm -hmm. So if you say, I know a lot about 16-bit and or how to do 32-bit processing in Photoshop, and you, you, you consider yourself somewhat an expert, and you start talking on the subject, and someone raises their hand and says, I have a PhD. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. <laughs> And you're a bunch, you're full of bunch of BS, right? Yeah. Uh, or you're, you're off, you, you know, you're off on mm -hmm. this part, you know, cause I learned it somewhere and someone taught me and I, I thought I know what I'm, you know, but there's always someone smarter than you. So you can't, you never, you can never stand in front of a group of people and try to be the smartest person in that room because it's going to fail at some point. You're going to, you're going to win over a certain group of people say, wow, he's a genius. Right. But then some people go, no. And the other thing too is, is that when you teach, you have to teach on a, on a level that I always say it's about an eighth grade level. You can't teach, because uh, you're not teaching people um, that 
I'm not saying they're not smart, but they're, they're, they're going, I don't understand mm -hmm. F stops and shutter speed. Could you explain that to me? And mm -hmm. you go, okay, here's a really easy way to explain that. And you have to go down to a level that's very simple. Yeah. So I always say an instructor has to err on over explaining something. You err on that. So I always have a, like a group of people, workshop or someone comes up to me and says, uh, this is kind of basic stuff. And I go, well, we're going to get to maybe a little more advanced stuff here, but I have to err on the side of over explaining because uh, if there's 15 people in my mm -hmm. workshop, 14 of them are going, I, I don't understand this. Right. Well, and you kind of have to teach down to the, not the lowest common denominator, but almost, you kind of have to bring mm -hmm. it down because mm -hmm. if you don't, then you just lost them. It's easy. You, you, you lose it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's say, for example, I went to uh, uh, Epson did a thing on printing, you know, printing. I went to work. It was like an event. I went, oh, printing. I love printing, you know, printing my own stuff. <clears throat> and I said, oh, I can't wait to go. And some guy got up there and I'm telling you what, he was a really smart guy, but he, he couldn't explain how to print to someone who really wanted to learn. Really? He, he was talking about ICC profiles, creating your own ICC profiles and all this stuff. And Nobody cares. Nobody <laughs> in that, in that audience was yeah. going, wow. We all walked out of going, that was a big waste of time. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, again, he, he, he looks really smart. Uh, probably is, but he loses the audience very quickly. So I always say err on the side of, of over explaining something. And um, when I do talk about, uh, photography, I do get into some very complex things. And, but it's always, it's my teaching is always uh, directing someone to an end result artistically. Well, That's one, one of the things that I love about the way you've taught, and, and it's stuck with me for the last decade plus, is just because a rule exists in the industry, in quotes, doesn't mean it's the, it's it. Like that's the only way and, and it's art. So it's in, it's yours. You get to choose and you get to decide what that looks like, what, what the finished product is. You don't have to go off some textbook. It's what you like. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, I agree. And here's the thing. Um, so what, what, what the biggest problem that we have as say, so I want to be a photographer. I want to be a musician, you know, whatever it is. The biggest problem we have is that we look at someone else that's, uh, you know, done it. And we say, oh my gosh, Ansel Adams. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, what a great landscape photographer. Well, when Ansel Adams was starting out and pushing his landscape stuff, he was, he was in some ways a radical. When I say that, in that he was breaking everything. Okay. Um, when, when he was pushing the boundaries on making his skies, black, black. and white photography, but Black, mm -hmm. black skies, mm -hmm. very dra dramatic, manipulating the tones to, to single out one subject and push something out back uh, in a very dark and, you know, these contrasty, uh, you know, kind of settings and stuff. Um, and he got a lot of grief. You read his uh, biographies and all the, the writings about what he did, uh, even like the print, the negative, the camera, the, the, that was kind of like the Bible of, of landscape photographers when I was in college. Um, and he talks about the fact that you know, people would try to say, well, he's a, you know, uh, a, a traditional uh, landscape photographer. He goes, no, I'm, I'm everything that stands against what we would call, at least at his time frame, traditional. Yeah. Then it became traditional. His approach became traditional. 
the traditional approach, large format. So he you know. got he set the standard by breaking the rules. There you go. And so what happens is is we as artists or you know we want to be accepted. We want we want to have a path that's been greased for us mm-hmm. somehow. So it's an easier path. So we say, well, XYZ photographer is very successful and he's doing this, that, and that. Therefore, I'm going to do the same thing, right? And so then we do that, but the problem is we're behind the curve. We're, we're late to the game, right? We're, we're, we're following, we're not leading. And so um, the, the people that we know in the industry that are at the top of the game, so to speak, are people that are taking risk and leading by breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, saying, I'm not going to do that because it's a traditional way of, of approach. I'm going to do that because I'm going to do this, whatever it is, because I love doing it and yeah. it fits me as an artist, right? And so you have to have really thick skin to be able to take the, the, the hit for doing something and then um, receiving the criticism for it. So, um, and there, the, to me, um, they always say there's a critic around every corner and you're going to be criticized to the point um, where it hurts. <laughs> so you just don't, re- that's why you let your wife handle your social media. <laughs> yeah, but we're human, so it's yeah. going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And someone says you suck, whatever. And so there's, there's one way to overcome being hurt by criticism. Okay. There's a one way it's guaranteed that will, uh, it, it'll, it'll kill you or it'll make you very uh, ability to be a good artist. Mm-hmm. And that is you release, you, you receive a lots of criticism. So when you receive lots of criticism, eventually the criticism doesn't hurt anymore. Because everyone hates you. (laughs) Well, no, you just go, okay, oh yeah, that person, whatever. They say, oh yeah, if you can't do it in camera, you're not a real photographer. (laughs) Well, how many times did I hear that, right? Yeah. Eventually you're like, no, you know, that's not, that's not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, or whatever it is. Like I did a thing on um, uh, 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 One Light Masterclass and I, and I I started out, I said, you know what? One of my, my, one of my favorite photographers uh, in, in past histories, Irving Penn, and I said, you know, he was a, way ahead of his time, uh, beauty, beauty portrait, beauty fashion portrait kind of stuff that he did, um, and portrait, very portrait stuff that he did, very influenced by his work. And so I said, well, I'm gonna, we're gonna do a couple of pictures here. We're gonna kind of go back and kind of make some pictures that are the 50s, you know, style portraits. And Irving Penn, I said, Irving Penn is kind of an influence of mine. Well, and then when people saw my pictures, oh. This is, looks like an Irving Penn copy. Well, okay. I mean, all right. So you get that and you say, well, yeah, you right. know, it is. I was influenced mm-hmm. by Irving Penn. I say that and, um, you know, I had to take the hit, right? And so I got some beautiful pictures and uh, I learned a lot and I produced, a, I think, a beautiful uh, masterclass. But it's like, yeah, you, you get these little stabs. People want to stab you. They'll, they'll, what happens is a critic wants to find something to poke so and they'll find something. Is there uh, value in in actually taking that stuff in and taking it to heart. Is there benefit there to you? Only if it's someone you trust. Mm. So if you, if you get a criticism from someone you don't know or whatever, it, it, it's, it, it can attack you, bring you down. You want to go find a cliff and jump off, right? If you have a friend that you really trust and they say, you know, you're not watching your corners. I had a friend tell me that, my friend, Kareth James. <laughs> You got your corners uh, in your photograph. You, there, there's a branch creeping in on the corner. I didn't see it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, back before we had Photoshop. But he's like, you're not watching your corners. Well, we're standing over a light box when he said that. 
<clears throat> sorry. I don't know. I had this tickle in my throat. I got a fever. I don't it's know. Arizona is Arizona warm. <laughs> yeah. Um, when he said that, boy, I was not happy, <laughs> you know, uh, but I trusted him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the next time I went out and photographed, boy, did I watch my corners. And, and every time I, I, we, we have this talk because we're still really good friends. I always say, yeah, Carrick, you know, for 30 years now, I've been watching the corners of my, my frames, you know, thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, and so having someone you trust mm-hmm. is a really good, uh, a good thing to have them put, po- uh, you know, say, eh, point something out, you know, you, you should try this or, you know, and, but, um, I get, uh, if you knew how many emails I get from people wanting me to critique their work, I say, first of all, I can't critique everybody's work. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be just full-time sitting from my computer com- critiquing people's work. Don't start charging for it. You'd be fine. Well, I don't even <laughs> want to do that. Right. I don't even want to do that. Um, you couldn't pay me enough money. Yeah. And here's why. Here's why. And it's an interesting thought. So, so I know some of you listeners out there probably... Um, and there's nothing wrong with taking it. I like when I, I have a new image and I send it out to a couple of my buddies and say, Hey, here's something new I'm working on. And mm-hmm. I go, Oh, that's kind of cool, Joel. Or eh. <laughs> maybe, you know, <laughs> that's maybe, the worst. <laughs> yeah. No, maybe you should stick with your old stuff. Yeah. But um, no, but I get a feedback from them a little bit uh, to gauge if I'm, you know, uh, I would say if I'm on the right track, but I, I do like to see a little bit of, 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 um, you know, insight to, to what people are thinking. That's mm-hmm. important as an artist. So there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a lot of people who live and they can't function without someone telling them if they're on the right track or not. So I'll give you an example of this. Um, Facebook? Well, Facebook and all, all, yeah, all right. right. But I, I, was, I was speaking at an event. Um, I was on tour with Kelby, Kelby One and 13, 13 cities and going from city to city. And it's very, very tight schedule. And I finished my thing and, you know, people come up afterwards and I was talking to them and I was looking at my clock and it was in New York and I had to get out of New York and get uh, on a plane and I had to call a cab and all that. And so I'm like, okay, I, I got to get out of here. And so I started to realize I was a little bit behind my schedule. Um, so I start making my way to curbside to get, to get my uh, taxi. And this kid comes running up. He's about 20 ish, you know, and he goes, Joel, 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 excuse me, excuse me. And he's running and I'm, uh, you know, up to me and I'm moving really fast. And this is after about the fifth person I've like kind of brushed off to try to get to the curbside. And he goes, uh, do you have a second here? He goes, I, I, I got my iPad. He goes, I, can you just look at a couple of my pictures and see if I'm on the right track? And I stopped in my, tr- I stopped. I turned to him and I said, I'm really sorry. I, have, I don't have the time for this, but I want to ask you one very simple question. If, if, I, if you showed me your work and I looked at it, and I said, you're a really bad photographer. You suck. That you should probably find another career. How would you handle that? What would that do to you? Hmm. He goes, I'd probably quit. And I said, then don't ask my opinion. <laughs> and don't ask anyone else's opinion. Because if you're, if you're waiting for someone else to validate whether or not you're in the right career or on the right track, then you're not ready for hmm. this or you're not the, this is not the right career for you because he's, he's going to be in that position for the rest of his life. And I know that because I have friends that I know that I've been talking to for over 30 years and 30 years later, they're still asking me if they're on the right track huh. and they've always struggled to make a living with their camera yeah. 
because they need everyone to reconfirm to them that they're on the right track and they're so insecure about what they're doing that they completely come undone every time someone says they didn't do it right and and or not on the right track or whatever their pictures suck what so so my point is that uh if if you're waiting for me to validate uh, uh you know uh, whether or not you should be a photographer or you're on a track, you, you, it's the wrong, it's the wrong thing to do. And so I don't like critiquing people's work because number one, I don't know them. I don't know uh, when I used to get kind of forced into doing portfolio reviews, uh, at, 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 at Photoshop world and things. And, you know, I was sort of obligated to do that. And so you get 15 minutes with someone. And the first question I asked them is, um, how long have you been doing this? And they go, uh, three months. Oh, okay. Or that does change 30, the game greatly. Yeah. yeah 30 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. That tells me something before I even open their, their portfolio. And I go, um, the next question is, do you want to make a living with your camera? Hmm. Are you, this is what you want to do for, for a living? And they go, yes. So then I open up their, their, their portfolio and I go, okay, if you've been doing this for 30 years, you're not, you're in the wrong industry. Hmm. Or if you've been doing this for three months or three years, I go, you know, you got some pretty good stuff here for only starting out. And, and I can encourage you to go in this direction, but um, um, no. So, so uh, here's another thought. And, and I've been thinking about this lately. I have four boys. Uh, th uh, they're in three of them are in the kind of the film industry in LA and stuff um, on the artistic side of things. And so I talk to my boys a lot and I, 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 um, I give my boys advice and of course I'm their dad, so they don't take it, but, <laughs> but um, they have to listen. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, I give them the same advice as I'd give anyone else. So I, a lot of my talking points have come out of me talking to my boys hmm. and asking them questions and stuff. And, um, but here's an interesting thought. Cause I, I know my boys, I watch my boys. I, 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 you know, cause I've raised them since they're little teeny tykes. And so their personalities and all that stuff, I know them well enough to kind of see their weaknesses and their strengths. Um, but here's an interesting thought that I've come to in the last month or so, just thinking and sitting with my boys and talking to them. And that is that uh, when, when you set out to do something uh, in a lifetime, a career of something, um, you know, we have, we have people that, um, dabble in it. Maybe they're very talented, but they don't really seem to have a whole lot of success. Uh, you get some people that have some success and they, they're making a living, but they still are struggling. And then you have a group of people that are very small group, but they're at the top. They're making a very good living with their camera and they're rocking it. And so you look at the, those, those different groups and you say, why is, why is the person uh, at the top that's making a really good living with their camera? How do they get there? Why are they there? And what's the what's the ingredients that they're they're that they're, that have gotten them to where they're at? And and you know, so we talk a lot about you have to learn how to market. You have to pick uh, something you love to do. Um, I always say shoot market, shoot market. You know, so always the marketing side is one of the biggest things that most photographers fail at doing. I have huge programs on that. Uh, the power of eight, getting your foot in the door, winning over clients, all that stuff. And there's truth to that, all that. I, but I had to learn that. So how did I learn that? Uh, I had to learn it. There was no choice. I had to learn it. I knew I had to learn it. There was, I, 
I, when it comes to marketing, it wasn't like, do I need to market? I go, I have to learn how to market. I hate marketing, mm. but I have to do it and I'm going to do it really well. And I'll become one of the best marketers on the planet. I have to do that. And so why is it that I have a drive? I want to be an artist and I want to be a photographer, but why is it that I have a drive to learn something I don't want to learn or do something I don't want to do to achieve an end result of where I want to be? And so one of the things that, um, I won't mention his name, but he's a very famous football player, a pro fo uh, football player, played for many years in the NFL. And um, he came to one of my workshops and, and we were talking about it and uh, really nice guy. And uh, whoops, that's my phone. Let me just, um, my wife, I don't know why she's calling me. She knows I'm on a. Um, you need to take it. You can. <laughs> no. Um, wow. Okay. Um, let me just say, I'm going to call her. Can I call you later? Um, hope she's not in Love you, honey. <laughs> right. Um, she she'll call right me. back. Maybe she did text me. Joel, I just got to head on. No, I, no. You know, if um, she can text you after that, you're in good shape. Yeah, that's true. Um, we were talking about, I said to this, this uh, former football player, very successful. I said, do you want to be a photographer? And he said, yes, I love photography. And I said, then you need to attack photography the exact same way you attack being a pro football player. The exact same level, the exact same intensity. I go, how many hours did you work a day to be a pro football player? He said, every waking minute that I was, you know, uh, I, I was awake. Hmm. I go, that's how you have to attack to be the top of the game as a photographer. Well, a year later, he came up to me, we ran into each other, and he said, you know, that was the best advice anyone's ever given me. And so you look at, a lot of people look at, I want to be a photographer. Well, if you were preparing for, if you have four years to prepare for the Olympics, you're an athlete and you have four years to train, would you go be playing video games? <laughs> yeah. Would you, would you, I mean, uh, would you be going and spending all your su Sundays watching football on, on TV? I know, I know friends of mine that start the weekends watching sports all the way through the weekend. These are photographers that are trying to make a living with their camera. Hmm. And, and you don't see me doing that. Uh, very rarely am I out there doing something other than uh, photography, learning, training, doing something to further my career. Now, you could say that could be a bad thing because there's more to life than being a photographer and uh, making a living with your camera. But, but it's uh, more about getting your craft down yes. to, to a perfection point at some level, right? Yeah. You have to, you, 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 I'm in training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was I was an I was an, uh, I was a gymnast. I understand about training. Uh, so, so are having, you a practicing photographer? Are you in practice now, <laughs> like doctors are? <laughs> I am always practice practicing. Nice. I'm 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 63 years old, still training hmm. my craft, and and so I has to be on a certain level that is um, better or or more intense than the person next to me. Mm -hmm. So you know that you know the old. <laughs> That joke where you're in the forest and there's a bear and you're with a group of people. <laughs> right. and, and the joke is you only have to be as fast, fast as, as the, the slowest, slowest guy. Person. Right. right. And, yep. but with, with, uh, as a photographer, as you compete in the marketplace, you have to compete. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you're competing and 
Um, and so there's one of the things that I've, I've always, uh, when I first started teaching, I had all my friends who were like, you are giving away all your secrets. And I go, no, there's a secret that I cannot give away. And that is I can outwork 99.99% of all people on the planet. Mm. That's, that's, that you, that you can't buy that. So that, that's one of the things that really stood out to me when I met you uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, and I actually talked to a friend of mine in Minnesota, a photographer there, um, about it just the other day because we were talking about you coming on here. And um, that's one of the things that, to me, it, it is one of the most important things that I've taken in the last year from you is that, you know, you, you need to be good, but it's more important that you work hard. Work hard. That, see, it's the, how many hours you do one thing mm-hmm. that makes you achieve a, a certain level of excellence. Yeah. It's repeating something over and over. And now I, I, you can say, Joel, you have a personality, uh, you have a temperament. Uh, I like to be an artist. I am no creative genius. And, and I'm not brilliant by any standard. Uh, oh, I barely was a C student in, in school. And so, um, but in some ways, it's actually a benefit to me uh, because uh, interesting studies have shown, proven that most A students in the real world end up working for C students because C students learn workarounds and yeah. like it, that kind of um, street smarts. <clears throat> they become very uh, <clears throat> risk takers. Mm-hmm. They are you know, willing to go and work hard, things like that. It doesn't come easy. There's a lot of things that do not come easy for me. And so I've learned that if I do anything long enough, I become really good at it. So if I want to juggle and I spend six hours a day practicing juggling, if I do it long enough, I will be one of the best jugglers in the world. I just know that because I know that the time I put in is going to pay off in mm. the end. And so that's what, that's what I do. Um, you know, I was uh, getting ready to uh, uh, go uh, photograph down in Mexico uh, some refugees. I got, a, I was speaking in, uh, San Diego, uh, in LA, um, and at the Canon learning center there. And a kid came up to me, young, young, young guy. And he said, Hey, uh, I'm bilingual. I, I have family down in Mexico. I go back and forth. I work with the refugees down there. Um, you know, as part of the, my, my church, we go down there and give them food and tents and things like that. And, uh, and, you know, there's some really great subjects. Would you ever be interested in doing a photo series of these refugees? I'm like, eh, I don't know. Didn't really think much about it. And then he just, a little piece of paper, he put his name on there. Um, and I was driving back from LA and I was just thinking about it. And I go, that's kind of a gift. Someone just give me a gift to mm-hmm. take me down there. And I saw, um, and I've been doing my beauty dish, you know, one light over the top uh, kind of approach to with a, with a, with a gray, uh, I did the whole Harley series with beauty dish, a gray X drop. It's like five by seven feet backdrop and then adding texture later. So I spent a hundred years, hundred, hundred years, hundred days on the road with doing that Harley project. Okay. That, that's on my list to talk about. So don't go <laughs> <Okay>. there yet. <laughs> well, and, and so <clears throat> I thought, okay, I'm going to do this refugee thing a little different. I'm going to shoot on a white background and I want to get a little snappier, a little snappier light out of my beauty dish. So I know that rule of thumb, back the light up, it gets, it gets more contrasting, a little snappier. So I go, but I know when, I want to know exactly where that light's going to be because I'm going to be in front of, you know, a line of refugees. I don't have time to practice. Mm-hmm. So 
I have, this is when we are building a house right now. So we're in a house that's a rental waiting to be, have our house built. So we sold our big house that we, I used to run workshops out of, but I had a huge garage and I was always, always kind of setting up. I had a backdrop in there. Sometimes I, you know, uh, do shoots in there and stuff. And so I, my kids are down visiting. So I go, Hey boys, I need to, I need to test some stuff. So I'm out there testing. And my friend Cliff Linderman, who's now uh, uh, lives very close here to me, he comes riding by in his Harley and he's like, pulls up. <laughs> it is just kind of surprising visit. And so he, did, I didn't know he was coming over and he pulls up and he gets his phone out and my garage, our, my garages are all wide open, you know, and he sees me in there shooting, testing. And he, and so I hear him on the, he's on his phone. He's, he's live Facebook. And he's like, well, I just pulled up to Joel, Joel's house. And he turns around and goes, guess what Joel's doing? <laughs> he's practicing. Mm. And that's why Joel is where he's at today. He's always practicing. And so that's, that's what I do is I don't take anything for granted. I have to learn it. I have to make sure it's, you know, when I shoot a hundred million dollar athlete in front of me, people say, are you nervous? I go, no. They go, why are you not nervous? This is, you know, you got this incredible athlete in front of you, celebrity athlete. Why aren't you nervous? I go, because I've done this so many times. Yeah. I know exactly what I'm doing because I've practiced. I know that, yeah, there's variables that happen, mm -hmm. but I'm not, I'm not experimenting on, no, on the subject. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, okay. So I'm getting off on tangents. What was the question you had? You had well, uh, I mean, I've got a list of things that if we get there, we get there. Um, one of the things was that Harley project you did. Um, yeah. And so it came out of that. Did it come out of that preparation or what, what was the thing that said, I'm going to take what, nine, six months. How long were you on the road? No, hundred days months? straight. Three months. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, uh, I'm going to drive about the country and just randomly find Harley's around and photograph them. What, no, what was, no, the, how, how'd very, you get there? It's very simple. Okay. So you, first of all, you got to go to your wife. Step one. I want to be away from you for a hundred days. And she's like, yes. <laughs> right. And then you're in right. <laughs> hundred days straight. Now, how many wives will let their husband get away a hundred days? Well, yes. Okay. Um, I don't have any little one kids that doesn't have little kids at home. Right. Yeah. Um, but, um, no, Amy knows, but I said, I also am going to need $30,000. Oh, okay. I'm going to blow $30,000. That's cheap. This is a cheap trip. Okay. <laughs> uh, $30,000. Uh, you good with that? And she says, and why do you need to do this? And I said, because I need to practice. Hmm. That's it. I got to find a subject that I can practice. And it's not for a client. It's for me. And so I know that if I, if I take the time, the money, the resources I have, go out and have a subject matter, repeat it over and over again, I'm going to get really good at something. Now, mm -hmm. I picked up Brad Budd, my assistant for that trip, and I was down speaking at an event in Georgia, and he's kind of a Harley-looking dude, tattoos, you know, big beard. And, and uh, I, did a, I used him in my, in, when we did a demo in front of all the, the students, I, did a, I pulled him out and I said, or bring your Harley jacket and let's do a, a Harley scenario of you, you know, kind of a, and at that time I wasn't really interested in doing a Harley series series. And I did this thing on stage and I did it with this little backdrop and I showed how simple it was. And then Brad and I got to talking and, and, uh, and he's like, that's a really cool, you know, approach. And I go, yeah, I'd like to kind of do something like that. And, you know, on the road and he's like, well, I'm your assistant. 
I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, Jack, I kind of laughed, you know, and then I got back and I got to thinking about it and I said, hey, why not, why not go on the road? Mm-hmm. And so, but anyway, so I picked up Brad in Augusta. So I took off from Phoenix, drove all the way to Georgia and, um, and, uh, this is just uh, you and a bunch of equipment I loaded my SUV loaded to the gills. And I go and I did all the research of what I needed to bring and all this stuff, you know, I packed it all nice and neat and all that. And I had kind of a little, a uh, little, uh, cubby hole in the back where I could sleep if I didn't have a hotel, um, to, you know, again, to be mm-hmm. cheap. Um, <laughs> right. Cause and, it was a cheap uh, trip. So I get out there and I pick up Brad and he gets in the car and I turn to him and I said, Brad, we got a hundred days on the road. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to do a whole series on Harley riders. It's going to take me a hundred days to figure out what I'm doing. So what was your, th- at that point, what was the thought here? Like, do you have a starting point, an idea in your head at that point? Well, kind of, but I'm like, I am not an expert at Harley riders. I'm a, <laughs> I I would call myself a pretty good photographer, but for me to go and do a series of, of uh, a genre, a series or whatever, the Harley riders across America, mm-hmm. it's going to take me a hundred days to figure out what my, my, what, what I really need to do. Mm-hmm. And Brad looked at me, and goes, you're Joel Grimes. <laughs> what do you mean you need a hundred days? I go, just watch. I'm going to watch at the end of the hundred days. We'll, we'll have this conversation again. And we fumbled. I did things. I did things wrong. Things things right. Little by little, every photo shoot, I got better and better and better. I got faster. I got quicker. I got, you know, and so here's, here's something that, that if you're a photographer, you know this very well. A success of a photo shoot relies on really three major things. You got to get the right subject in the right location (laughs) at the right time of day. Yep. Okay, so you get a really good subject in a really good, t- good location at high noon. It's probably not going to work very well unless you can put them in the shade somewhere and do something, right? Yeah. My point is, is that the battle of, of uh, the vision as an artist and, and getting good pictures is really battling those three things. Then you get, you get that subject, you get that uh, location, you get that lighting, really good lighting. What do you do? Do you put the subject on a bike? You know, like, well, okay, how many of those can you do? Mm-hmm. Do you put the bike in the foreground and shoot the subject in the background? I mean, you know, how, what, do you, what do you do? What is it that you do as an artist that makes it an interesting photograph, right? And so the only way I'm going to know what that is, is by doing it a lot and making it really bad photos to the point where I go, oh, okay, after 100 days, I know, I know, what, I know what to do now. And so after that, that period, I, we, a hundred days, I, I said, Brad, now do you know what I meant? He goes, absolutely. Mm. Because now at the very end of that trip, when I got a writer, I said, okay, I got this great subject. Okay. We got to find a good location. Okay. And that was like, we drive, you know, for two days driving around finding. Okay. we got the location. We got the writer. He's willing to do it. Now, can we get him at the best light? Is it early morning? Is it late afternoon? You know, whatever. And so then we go and put that shoot together and all of a sudden you go, that's a great photograph. And, and, and my vision was, was, was uh, much better. So, so my wife knows that, that it takes those kind of uh, uh, trips and projects and resources to go and get to another level. And I don't think most people understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, you don't have to spend $30,000 to do that. You can do it in your backyard with, I say back, or, you know, within an hour yeah. drive of you. But, um, you know, I did this thing called 50 self-assignments. I've been doing it for 10 years. And every year I do 50 non-paying um, uh, projects uh, or shoots that I set up. That do you, not do you establish them all? Like, do you say at the first of the year, all right, here's the 50 or does that, is it fluid throughout the year? It's fluid. No, I can't be. I'm not that organized. <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll go, you know what? Um, and you know, here's another interesting thing too. I had a, I had a beautiful studio down here about 15 minutes away. We're in Buckeye, Arizona. So it's on the West side of Phoenix. Um, and about 15 minutes away here, I had, there's this big warehousing area where brand new, uh, warehouse had 3,000 square foot uh, studio, had a, a psych wall that was 24 feet wide and t- uh, 24 feet tall sweep. Oh, man. And I could pull a semi into that thing. And I was uh, just loving that studio. And then and when it came time to renew that lease, um, you know, financially, I could afford it. So it wasn't like I was, you know, kind of like, you know, well, we got to save some money here. Um, but I was like, I was the the guy that was my leasing agent, you know, called and I said, let me give it some thought. And I was driving down the road and I said, you know, that studio makes me a little soft. It's kind of easy. What would make it, what would make life harder? Is that really the thought process you had? Yeah. What would challenge me? Make it, make it harder. And I goes, if I have to go out on location every time I do a photo shoot. Hmm. So I got home and I said, honey, we're not going to really do the lease on that studio. She's like, what? I go, no, because I want to be forced to go outside. Mm-hmm. And that's the Harley thing came out of that. That was when I decided to do the Harley thing. Really? So, so it was like, I think about that a lot. Now, here's another thought that's really interesting. And you're going to laugh when you hear this. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm now, what, 40 years into doing this as a photographer, making a living. Do you know that I work a lot better being broke? I mean, I work. Is that because you're hungry? In, I mean, in, uh-huh. in metaphorically you get hungry. speaking. Yeah. When you're broke, you're hungry. When you got money in the bank and you got, you know, all your bills paid, mm-hmm. whatever, you get a little soft. And one of the things I don't want to do is be soft. I want to say, okay, I got I to gotta have a little fire under me all the time. People say, how do you get motivated? Well, being broke is a good motivator. <laughs> so I always tell Amy, let's go to Vegas. Let's blow it all. Burn it all. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be broke and we can start over. And then, and then she says, now Joel. <laughs> Yeah. No, I've started over a number of times. Mm-hmm. When I say I've been broke, I've been broke. And I've started over. And the greatest, the greatest uh, result has come out of the being broke or being in a position where I give up my studio to go be on the road or mm-hmm. I do something to say, I'm not going to go and get soft here. You know, George Burns, uh, when he was 99 years old, they asked him, What's the secret to being this old? He goes, don't fall in love with your pillow. Ouch. And there's some truth to that because yeah. we're all, we all get soft. I get, I get soft. I have to be careful. Mm-hmm. I, get, I get tired. I don't want to do something. Um, and um, so I've learned that I have to go and prod myself, self-prodding. See, the thing is, is if you rely on someone else to always motivate you, you're going to always be waiting for someone to motivate you. Guess what? <laughs> They're not always around. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the problem with accountability. We, we say, I need accountability partner. Let's say I'm struggling with, mm-hmm. you know, drinking or whatever. I need accountability, someone to, to keep an eye on me. Well, 
that 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 is not bad. I mean, I'm saying there's some value to that. But the problem is the person that's your accountability partner may not be there when you need it the most. And so that's when you go and fall off the wagons because you haven't been able to go and say no and or, or whatever you're struggling with. And so um, you have to be a self-motivator. And my son Aaron came to me and said, Dad, you don't realize something. You're just naturally a self-motivator. And I thought about that for a long time. And I said, you know, there could be some truth to that. But I also know something since, you know, 40 years of this, I've had to learn how to be a self-motivator. And I've had to learn that the minute I start to get complacent, I have to find a way to get me energized mm -hmm. again. And I'm going to also say something to, to you that's a little bit of a tough one. And I might have, I say this on occasion when I talk about marketing. I talk to people that live in South Dakota, a little town somewhere. And, and they say, well, Joel, you, you're in Phoenix or you're in LA. You have opportunities that we don't have. And, and so um, one of the things that I tell them is that um, I have moved. Well, my wife and I have moved in 33 years, 17 times. Wow. And I've moved some of those just cross town kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, like we, we just, we sold our house. Uh, we, we, so we had a house in the same neighborhood. We upgraded to bigger house. Then we sold that house. Now we're renting to building a house in Wickenburg, Arizona. But it's like, we do that. I'm very, I'm very nomadic. I'm very like, let's do, let's try something. Let's go, you know, but, but I've learned something by that uh, moving from point A to point B. So I moved from Phoenix to LA and bam, I have this new set of energy levels that I've never had before. I'm getting new subjects. I've got, you know, I'm testing new things and I'm working, you know, uh, 12 hours a day, whatever, because it's this new uh, sort of environment for me. And so if you want to be a car shooter, you might be able to do it out of Podunk, South Dakota, but more than likely you're going to have to be in LA or, mm -hmm. you know, it used to be Detroit, but you may have to go somewhere. And I, I have a, an amazing wife that says, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And you can't always do that. You might have family, you might have ties right now. Amy's mom is an uh, uh, independent living and she's living here 30 minutes from us. And Amy has, she's doing something right now with her. Hmm. She's going over back and forth, back and forth uh, to, you know, so we couldn't move. We, that's why we had, we're building a house that's outside of the Phoenix Valley a little bit. It's actually cowboy land. It's Wickenburg, Arizona. Ooh. It's in a beautiful little area that we, we've got, but, um, but we, no, we can't, we, right now we're kind of locked in. So someone may be locked in, but the point is, is that you do sometimes have to go make and do drastic things mm -hmm. that uh, are maybe a little bit of a risk, uh, but it gives you a whole new sense of energy. And I've started over many times uh, on a local market, like Denver market, uh, pounding the streets in Denver. Then I, then I moved, we got married. I moved to Washington, D.C. I pounded the streets in Washington, D.C. to get work. Then we moved to, you know, the, I did a book on the Navajo and moved to Phoenix for a little bit, pounded that streets. And then we, you know, moved back to Colorado. I moved around, but I've always had this list in front of me. I built a list of people I need to pitch and market. And that, that new move gives me energy to do that. Um, some of my some of my colleagues that I that I rubbed elbows with in Denver in Denver days. I was in Denver for about eighteen years. Um, they were these you know 
really good gifted photographers that came out around the time I started out, which is 19, around 1985. And they had these incredible career that kind of just took off. And then about 10 years into the career, it just nosedived. Hmm. And I saw this with almost every one of my colleagues. Um, almost every one of the, the colleagues that I started out with did not have a 20 year, a longer than a 20 year career in photography. And because they stayed in the exact same town, the exact same studio, the exact same everything, they never left, they never changed. Their work looks exactly the same as it did 20 years ago. So I'm always trying to change what I'm doing, always trying to do a new look, a new idea, a new way of pushing it, something. And, and so um, and that's been my secret. And it's not because I'm a creative genius. I, it's because I have a passion for the creative process and I'm willing to take the risk to put my neck on a chopping block to go try something new and to try something new. Sometimes it takes a new city or a new something, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I guess, you know, I'm kind of rambling here, but it's, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, people want to know the secret to success and there's a lot of spokes in the wheel. Yeah. But um, as a 63 year old photographer, I've looked back and I can see a lot of the mistakes I've made and some, some of the things that helped me along the way. And, um, um, I like to pass that on to people. Can you point to a time back in your career over the last 40 years that you are like, that was the moment that I realized that this is, th this is the formula. And it's this idea of constantly being stretched and pulling yourself out of the box and, and being willing to, um, not be encumbered by, yeah, I'll tell you, there's, there's a couple, there's, there's, a, there's about two or three, there's three, three things that, that literally changed my whole perspective on photography, uh, uh, making a living, all those things. The first is 19 years old. I'm sitting at a community college in Pima Community College in Tucson, Arizona. I eventually got a degree out of University of Arizona, but I started at a community college. My instructor was Lou Bernal, the best instructor I've ever had. Uh, very, very charismatic, dynamic uh, instructor. Uh, to this day, um, I owe a great debt of, of gratitude to him. Um, but he said something the very first week of class. I'm 19 years old. I had taken uh, three and a half years of photography in high school. So I knew a little bit about photography, but I didn't really know it's a career. I didn't, hmm. you know, but um, uh, it's a long story how I got into his class. I actually, he, I, I was working at a army surplus store he came in <laughs> looking for a well he came in looking for a waterproof container back before you had think tank and all these yeah. pelicans cases and stuff and he said i'm looking for a, a, a waterproof case and i said oh well here's an old army thing you can like a like a ammunition box oh, or yeah. something and i said um, yeah what, what do you want this for he goes oh i'm a photographer it's for my you know film or something to keep it from getting wet i go oh well i'm a photographer too because i had just bought i working for three dollars and 25 cents an hour I spent, you know, working, I got this, my first little Canon EF camera. It was, a, it was a little black camera. It was the only black camera out at the time. I was going to buy a Nikon camera, but I saw this black Canon. I decided to buy the <laughs> you know, black camera was the coolest thing on the planet. Anyways, so I said, oh, I'm a photographer too. He goes, oh, really? You know, and he said, uh, do you ever think about taking any classes in college? I go, eh, I don't know. He goes, well, why don't you take my class? Hmm. I'm over at Pima College. And I said, eh, I don't know. He goes, well, he goes, I got a list of uh, students that are trying to get in, but I'll let you in right now. Wow. Yeah, he let me in. Anyways, and so, but the first week he said this. 
Photography is not just a way to document the world around you, but it's a way to be an artist and have a creative outlet and to be a creative force. And so I'm sitting there as this 19 year old going, wow, I wanna be an artist. Hmm. I'd already played in a band. I was singing, writing songs and stuff. I liked the idea of having my stamp on something. I like to be original. Um, I, I, you know, I learned guitar, but I didn't learn how to play James Taylor or whatever. I learned how to play chord progressions and then build my own songs. And people say, you don't know how to play this song. I go, no, but I can do this. They go, oh my God. But <laughs> it's like, I wanted to be an individual with my own stamp. And so when he said that, I was like, photography can be a creative outlet. I can be an artist with a camera. And so that was the first thing that changed my um, sort of like, I've been chasing that ever since being an artist. That's why I always say think like an artist or be an artist, whatever. Um, the second one was um, when I was with my buddy, uh, Steve, Steve Sammons, we had a studio together in Denver, it was just starting out. And Steve was a marketing guy, uh, he was more of a marketing guy. And we talked about, you know, the marketing side. And Steve said something to me. He said, the best photographers, um, the best photographers don't make the most money. It's the ones that are the best marketers. What year was this? Uh, 1985, 80, somewhere around there, we first started out. Wow. And, and it kind of was a crush to, to me. It crushed my ego a little mm -hmm. bit, my, cause I'm thinking, well, <laughs> I thought if you were a really good photographer, right, then that was it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he's like, no, no, you have to be a good marketer. And mm -hmm. so out of that came the power of eight. I learned how to go and knock on doors and win clients over. So that was the, that was the second thing was that I can get work. I want to be a good photographer, mm -hmm. but I have to be a really good marketer. So it was the first time that I, and I've spent, well, how many years is that? That's uh, 35 years of marketing, 35 years of me pounding the streets and getting, winning over clients. And I got to where I got really good at it. And so the success of my businesses really has a lot to do with my marketing skills. The third thing that, that, that transformed where I'm at today, and I had a revelation, was that I needed to be a brand in the market, the Joel Grimes brand mm -hmm. to where when someone looked at a photograph of mine, they said, that's a Joel Grimes photograph. And that all happened when I did uh, my first Polaroid uh, Type 55 large format four by five portraits. All, uh, I took that camera around the world, I was shooting for clients did national ad campaigns for Volvo and Visa and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of healthcare advertorial ad, ads with testimonials. Um, I made a huge amount of money with that look. I, I ran that look for seven, eight years. Um, and I was uh, king of the mountain with that look. And I realized that I branded myself with that look and the phone did not stop ringing. And I could demand huge amounts of money because I branded myself with a look that the art directors wanted. So I tagged myself with something that, you know, now you probably know me, you know me and most people know me from the sports mm -hmm. stuff that I did with right. the three edge lighting. Well, that came out because I understood the power of branding mm -hmm. myself. 
And I said, okay, it's time to rebrand myself. And I rebranded myself. And, and, uh, and uh, when I was 50 years old, when I started doing that, that edgy look, and uh, built, I beat that look in the ground, and it put me on the map nationally mm-hmm. and internationally. So those are three, three kind of milestones in my life that, that I would attribute to where I'm at today. How, I mean, you, I, you had four boys in the midst of this career. Um, what was the challenge? And, you know, this is, I mean, photography is your career um, and education now. But in the, the idea of being a, an entrepreneur and a self-employed um, family business uh, with a family, especially moving around like you guys did, what were the challenges that the, and, and some of the successes, I guess, that made that work so well for you guys? Well, so you, we could say that my, my career isn't number one in my life, and that's true. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say in... in, in um, uh, you know, if you really define it, my faith is the greatest thing I have, I possess. And that feeds down into my family. I, my wife and my kids are, you know, my wife are going on, we're going on 33 years of marriage. doesn't mean we have a perfect marriage, but I, I, I put her first and the kids above my career. But there's something that my wife knows and I know is that I have to make a living. You got to eat. <laughs> right. You got to eat. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, you know, when I came home and got off the plane, the first thing I do is absorb myself with my family. Hmm. And I, we homeschooled our kids. We, I, we went on camping trips. We did all sorts of stuff. My kids will tell you. I'm sure that we didn't have a, I didn't, wasn't a perfect dad, but we, they, they have no, no complaints. They say, dad, we had a great upbringing. And, um, you know, uh, and there's four different personalities in those kids. And I, um, uh, you know, the challenge is as a dad, how do I deal with each different personality? Yeah. Um, and I remember one time I went down to, <laughs> went down to the basement and the kids were down there. Someone got hit with a boot over the head or something. And one, <laughs> one little kid was crying and the other was blaming one kid and they're all fighting. I go down there and I'm like, all right, whose fault is this? <laughs> and me hit me with a boot. Well, you did this to me. You took away my truck or whatever. You know, they're sitting down there and I go, what do I do with this, you know, bunch of hooligans down here, hooligans? And I got up, I was walking up the stairs to the, 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 um, to the um, um, next level up where my wife was in. And I stopped for a second and I leaned against the wall and I said, I need something in me greater than me. Wow. I need a divine work <laughs> that will allow me to be the dad I need to be for mm-hmm. these kids. And at that moment, this peace came over to me and said, you'll be okay. Wow. But putting your family first is important. Um, but, you know, I mean, if you're a welder and you had to go out on a rig and weld for, you know, uh, oil rig for two months and come back, or if you're in the armed forces and you have to be gone and uh, uh, deployed somewhere, uh, if you're a doctor, you're on call. I mean, no matter what career you take, unless you go and sit in a cubicle from nine to five or yeah. eight to five or whatever it is, um, you know, we have careers that are very demanding on our time. And so you have to be aware of that. So, so I included, um, you know, my kids, I used to use my kids as subjects to test them, you know. But well, you still do. I, I was do. looking at that I bribe, recently. Yeah, yeah, I drive them all the time. You know, I'll give you a yeah. soda. I'll give you a candy bar if you sit for me. <laughs> But it doesn't work. And now you say, I'll give you a camera. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, steak dinner. But 
But no, I mean, you know, I look back and I would say, I, I would say that there are times when my career did absorb too much of my, of, of me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and so there's that balance. Uh, it, it is a tough thing. It is, a, it, I, you know, it was one of those, uh, you know, question marks as to, you know, what do I do? But um, like I said, when, I, when it came to, um, when it came to my raising my kids and being a good dad, I had to trust something greater than me. Yeah. The same thing happened once I was, uh, I was uh, putting in bids on jobs. And I remember, um, you know, you, you put a bid in, it's a big job. We're talking like, you know, maybe 50 grand or a hundred grand job. And you're like, okay, you know, this could be a yeah. good windfall for us and the family and all this stuff. And, and um, you know, so then they say, well, we'll let you know, Joel. And then, you know, the art director calls up and says, or I call the art director up. Hey, how's it going? How's that bid? Is it come? Yeah, we're we're working on that. We're we're. I think the client's going to make a decision here next week. And then you wait and wait and wait and wait. You know, and and I remember um, I would get about eighty percent of all the bids I put in. So you don't get every bid. But I remember one time this client drug me out, drug me out, drug me out. And finally, I called and they said, "Uh, well, we gave it to another photographer or something. Something mm-hmm. happened." And I remember getting up phone and I kind of slammed the phone down and I was like, mm. and I was just kind of mad because of the way they drug me out. Right. And I remember sitting there going, this tinge of fear came over me that said, you don't have any work or you don't have enough work or whatever it was. And I remember this sort of like this anger and fear all at once came, you know, on me as a provider of the family and all that. And it was, again, one of those moments when I said, I'm not the ultimate provider of my family. Mm-hmm. So I need something greater at me working in me to get me through this. And I remember that moment, I never got mad. Every time a job was canceled or they didn't get it, I never got mad. And it was like I had to give that over. I had to release that because that's a lot of weight on a shoulder for yeah. someone to carry, you know, trying to provide. And so there's moments like that I had to learn to um, – you know, navigate through, through, uh, life and, and, um, um, but yeah, it is a tough one. So as you've gone and I, I mean, I, I don't want to abuse your time today. Um, as you, um, have, you know, we went through 19 into 2020, um, COVID-19 hit, um, you were already pre-planned to do your own thing that year. So that, that didn't affect you that much. What do you see as from a business side and maybe even a civil society side? Um, what do you think the the result of uh, 2020 is going to be on people and on the industry? Well, so you, if if you you look at the marketplace, one of the first things you have to understand is why would someone pay you? Let's just look at a business stand. I'm a photographer. I want to make a living. Mm-hmm. Why is someone going to pay you to take a picture? Well, so you have to look at the, the value and the worth of what you're doing. And so you go from, I'm not saying it's the lowest uh, sort of thing on the totem pole, but you do a family portrait. You're in the business of making uh, a living with family portraits. Mm-hmm or you do senior high school senior portraits. Um, you do um, weddings, um, then you work your way to maybe doing um, editorial work for magazines, uh, travel magazines, 
Um, you do, and you go corporate direct. Uh, you do a project for Hewlett Packard direct or whatever. Then you have ad agencies, whatever. So there's this whole stair step of different ways you can make a living with your camera. And art as a gallery, selling prints is another way you can make a living. So how do you say, you look at the marketplace and say, how do I go and plug in to the marketplace? And, and, and one of the problems that most photographers do is they don't, they don't charge what their worth is, right? They're, they undercharge. And, and you say, how do you get to where I can charge to, um, to be able to make a living and not be abused and you know, make a good living? And, and so, um, so you, have to, you have to look at the way the marketplace uh, functions. And at first it's like a jungle and you, you, you just, all you see is trees and there's nothing but chaos in front of you and you don't know where to go, where's the path. And it takes a long time to understand how the marketplace works. And I'll, I'll, I'll bring it to, to, to how I've come to look at um, when it comes for me to put a bid on and I have to look at what's my time worth and what should I charge? And what is a client willing to pay? And I'm in, are we, are we on the same, uh, you know, on the same page? Um, and it's a really difficult thing to do, but eventually you get there after with time. But you have to understand that if you produce a product, you're, you're a company that makes a gear that goes into a four wheel drive uh, Jeep mm -hmm. that gives you better gear ratio or whatever. And you got this product that's pretty cool, right? And you want to get people to know about that. So you got you to gotta get the word out. You got to maybe take some pictures of this gear and maybe it's on a Jeep that's on a mountain and you want a really cool, you know, picture that shows, this, <laughs> you know. And so, so you have to look at that company and they, you say, um, they need to sell 10,000 of those uh, gears a year to make it worth it for them. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they can bring in $3 million worth of uh, revenue out of that little product. So then you come along and they say, we need you as a photographer to um, uh, create some images for our product. And, you know, um, what will you charge? And the question is, is what are you willing to pay mm -hmm. to get that product in the right place to get you your $3 million of revenue? Well, they can't pay 3 million right. for that photo, right? So they got a shop, they got all this stuff. And you look down, you whittle down and you say, well, really um, it, 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 in that small company, it may be $3,000, mm -hmm. all they have. $3,000 budget. And you go, well, okay, for $3,000, here's what I can do for you. I can shoot the product. We can do a couple product shots of it. And maybe I can get you one really cool superhero shot that you can, you know, use of a Jeep out on this location somewhere. Okay. That's what you can get for $3,000. They don't have 300,000. Mm -hmm. They have 3,000. They don't have 30,000. They have 3,000. So that's what, that's what they're willing to pay. So what, what can I do for that? So when you look at a big client, like I do a lot of work for huge clients, I know that when they are introducing a new Nike shoe or whatever it is, that their budget is going to be probably a million to 3 million mm -hmm. for that. Just, just for the marketing 
piece. Marketing. So here's, here's how I look at it. So I look at that if, and this happens to me all the time, I look at the, the um, they got the ad spend for the client to get it out, social media now, but maybe print ad stuff. And so they're, and photography, just the photography is going to be about 10% of the big budget that a client drops at the, at the, on the table of an ad agency. Photography is about 10% of that. Is that and just so, a standard, kind of a standard it, and practice? It, you know, it could be somewhere in that range. 8% or yep. it could be 12, I don't yeah. know, but it's mm -hmm. a general, it's around 10%. And so when I go and bid on a, on a, on a Volvo ad campaign, I don't bid $30,000. They'd laugh me out of there. Hmm. I have to bid at what about ten percent of the the marketing budget, and then I'm in the ballpark. So, so I mean, is that something that these companies actually release? They give you their budget? Very rarely, but you don't actually want them to give you your budget um, because I'm talking about marketing it, overall marketing budget. Do they give that info, or you just assume? No, I'm assuming you just well, you've got years and years of knowing yeah. what. No, it's, it they're, not gonna, like. they're gonna not launch a new shoe for th a $30,000 mm -hmm. budget. Right. I know that. It's gonna be at least a million plus. Mm -hmm. So here's what I'm saying though, is that I know that I have to be in, the, in that ballpark and they're gonna want you know, a motorhome to change out and they're gonna want all the wells, bills, <laughs> bells and whistles. But, yeah. um, but I know that I have to be, I have to make a profit and to make a good living, I have mm -hmm. to be within that parameter. So it's the local pizza shop down the street. I have to be within their budget mm -hmm. or whatever it is, the clients, I have to learn that. So I'm not going to spend time trying to win over a, a, a mom pop pizza shop down here to get work for them. It's just not worth my time. Now, when I started out, it might've been, yeah. but I have to learn the marketplace. And so then I can say my value, my, my worth. Now, a lot of times I'm, I'm putting a bid in, I'm like, holy cow. I mean, can you imagine I could actually make this kind of money? <laughs> <laughs> and, but it's because I understand the market and yeah. that's why I can ask that kind of uh, money. It takes a long time to get there, but um, um, it, it, that's with, with years of making bad bids, <laughs> making bad right. mistakes. Because you know when they but come it, back, yep, you're right. We got it. You're, you're hired. Yeah. You, you're yeah. underbid. <laughs> but that's why when people, when I tell people I can make this kind of money with a photo shoot, they go, their jaw hits the floor. They mm. go, what? How's that possible? Are you that good? No, I'm not that good. I just know my worth. Mm. And I know that I'm in the ballpark if I go and I'm at that table mm -hmm. uh, as one of the photographers that they're looking at. And so, um, but most of us undersell ourselves. We don't know the marketplace. We don't understand the concept of, of how to get and win over a client. All these things are really important. But let's go back to uh, the, the, the COVID thing. And you remember when, when and, and you may not been a photographer that started out in film. I don't know if the nope. film shooting film. My okay. dad did. I didn't. Okay. Yeah. So, so when we shot film and all of a sudden digital came along, there was this upheaval in the industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, huge upheaval. Because um, a lot of the photographers that were very successful under the film days now had to go and reinvent themselves and do a lot of things that they were just, you know, it was just like, I don't have, I can't do this. You know, most people said, I can't do it. And I was one of those people that were like, wow. Digital is amazing. Look at what I can do with digital. Look at how it opens up the doors for all these new ideas, right? Um, but there was an upheaval in the industry. But I would say about 80% of all my photographer's friends died, literally died at that transition. And, um, and so... Because they didn't want to embrace the new? They'd understand 
the value hmm. of digital and what it could bring to the marketplace. They'd understand that I can take layers and put all these different things mm -hmm. in and take this out and do that and do this and make this incredible photograph. They were like, layers? Oh my <laughs> right. God, you know, smoke's coming out of my mm -hmm. back, my ears. I can't figure this out, right? And so, um, but what I'm saying is, is you lost a lot of people in the industry of an upheaval with the mm -hmm. digital transition. COVID is going to lose a lot of people because they can't make the change that's going to, they need to make from whatever was the perfect model in 2020 is not the perfect <laughs> model in 2021. Yeah. You got to, you got to be able to make the change that allows you to go and be competitive. Now here's, here's something that's really, really interesting. And that is when COVID first came out and all of a sudden the lockdowns happened. I called my boys and I said, boys, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. Mm. And they went, what? I go, because 80% of all your, I don't know, 80%, but a huge percentage of all the people you're competing with right now are going to quit. Done. Yeah. They're going to quit. It's going to be too much for them. They're going to, they're going to go, I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving LA, Mom, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and so now is the time to double down and work harder than you ever worked before to achieve your dream and your, your goal of being a working, uh, whether a photographer or a filmmaker or whatever, because they're going to weed out the weak and they're going to weed out the people that, that uh, they're going to be talented people. They're going to fall mm -hmm. really talented people, but talent doesn't get you to the end. Hmm. And so that's why um, th you need to, we need to embrace this craziness, which I think it's really unfortunate that we've destroyed our economy and businesses and, you know, um, you know, all in the name of, you know, I guess trying to preserve, you know, life, which I think life is important. I'm there with you. I stand with you to preserve life, but people die. Yeah. And that's a part of life. And we have to accept that, you know, life comes along and kicks us and whatever, but, um, but we, but we, we can't go and lay down and just say, Oh, I'm, I'm done or whatever. And, um, rely on someone else to come along and save you. You got to get up and uh, say, okay, here's my opportunity. So there's, there's always, do you know that the, some of the most wealthiest people had made most of their money during a depression or a recession? Is that because they were willing to go out and do things when everyone else wasn't? No, it's because they usually have cash in hand. And ah. then when this recession comes, they buy up everything. <laughs> so they're waiting for, they're, mm. they're waiting for a downturn. Okay. Talk to anyone that buys real estate. They wait for the downturn to mm -hmm. spend their money. Not in Arizona right now. <laughs> well, it's exploded. There's, like There's no downturn there. No, uh, everyone, everyone coming in from California. But, That's crazy. but my point yeah. is, is look at the, look at 2020 mm -hmm. as an opportunity to move forward with a renewed energy and, um, you know, the quitters are the losers. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should get a bumper sticker. <laughs> the quitters are the losers. <laughs> the ones that stick with it are the winners. Yeah. And so stick with what you're doing. You might have to reposition yourself a little bit differently. You know that in probably 2020 or whenever, there's going to be more weddings than ever before in one given year. At some point, yeah. there is going to be this explosion yeah. 
of weddings. Yep. So get ready for the explosion. Get your portfolio <laughs> ready. Get your position yourself to go out and be a wedding photographer because you're going to be cleaning out, mm. cleaning the clock or cleaning. What's the word? Cleaning, cleaning house. <laughs> cleaning yeah. house as a wedding photographer. Yeah. And there's a lot of companies waiting right now to spend money on advertising because they know they have to do it. So I think there's going to be a complete explosion of companies that are finally going to say, now's the time to spend some money. Hmm. Uh, let's get some photographers in here and uh, get some of these products out because every company needs products out. Right. So let's go back to one real quick little thing I'll tell you. And um, it's on the education side of things. I'm in the, and I'm really now sort of surrounded by uh, uh, my time being with education um, more than anything. And I know that there's people out there going to say, well, those that teach, teach because they can't make a living in the marketplace. <laughs> and that's okay. I'll take the hit because I spent, I've probably, I've probably pounded more doors in the marketplace than 99% mm -hmm. of all photographers on the planet. So you, you can't, you can't move me by that critique, right? I'm not going to be affected by if someone says that. And they say it all the time on my Instagram and stuff. Um, but as a teacher, and this is, this is true with anything. So if you want to be a wedding photographer or a commercial advertising photographer, to compete in the marketplace, you have to gain ground with your audience or potential clients. You have to, the net has to be widened mm -hmm. to bring in the fish, so to speak. And so there's, there's, there's ways to do that organically. You can do that, um, Instagram, you know, Facebook, YouTube, you can collect uh, potential clients, or uh, if you're a speaker like me, you can bring it. But we've moved into another era of, of educators are dying by the hundreds, or if not, I don't know, they're falling by the wayside. Educators that were making a living uh, in the last 10 years are, are not able to make a living now, and wow. not just because of 2020. Uh, there's so many educators that were on the, out there competing. There's so many events that were out there. Of course, now with, the, with like 2020, with the COVID thing, we've, we've, we've shut down all these different events, mm -hmm. but um, they'll come back. They'll come back. They'll come back. But we've also moved into another phase of the marketplace. And that is you used to be able to use Facebook, Instagram, YouTube organically. Yeah to, to bring in your audience. And I have 200,000 plus followers on Facebook. If I make an announcement, Joel Grimes has a new workshop, 5,000 people see that because hmm. they throttle it back on purpose to force you to buy. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. So five years ago, if I, if I sent that out, I would have probably gotten 50% of mm -hmm. the audience would have seen it. Now it's 5%. Wow. So the only way you're going to get social media to work now is to pay for it. But here's the really good news. If you, I have a team behind me, but if you know the analytics and all the little tricks on how to do it, mm -hmm. when you pay, the payoff is huge. Really? So I've had, I've had a very, very good year in 2020 selling uh, tutorials. Um, and before 20, uh, 2019 was very good because I have a team that pays. I pay a huge amount. If I told you what I pay a month on advertising, you would, your jaw would hit the floor. <laughs> it's the only way to do it now. Really? 
but 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 you've got to have content that's that will stand up to that correct yeah yeah but i'm saying but the model has changed so quickly mm-hmm. now that when we rely on the organic reach right we're, we're we're dying all these all these uh photographers that were teaching that relied on organic reach on their social media did very well they just they're not doing it anymore mm. so um, um it's kind of like crack cocaine they start you out free here's free crack and eventually you got to pay for it. Yeah. We had free social media. It's no longer free anymore. So you have to pay for it. And it's a sad thing to do that. But, um, but here's my encouragement is, is if you have um, whatever it is you're trying to promote, you have to, yes, still do organically, but you have to say, I got to put a certain amount of money aside to push toward the reach. Hmm. And I'm not an expert on the social media side of things. So I have a team that does that. But um, what I'm telling you as, as, as someone out there, just in photography too, is that if you're going to reach the big clients, you're going to have to go and pay for that too. Hmm. Uh, whether it's, you, I, for years I was knocking on doors. You still can. I still, I still support that. Do you need an agent? Do you have an agent? Well, an agent takes, I have had agents in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, um in a way, I have an agent now. It's it's the team that markets me. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but you pay mm-hmm. a percentage of the of the job, right? They, yeah, they get a- and it's a big chunk. Yeah, and so um, yeah, so um, you get the right person. If you get the right agent, it's great. If you get the wrong agent, it's terrible. And I've had <laughs> I've had good and bad relationships with agents in the past. They did a lot for me. They did nothing for me. So no, my encouragement. So. So my gift, if there's a gift out there that I have, it's one of exhortation, meaning I encourage mm-hmm. people to move forward. And so my, my, my encouragement isn't one that is a doomsday that, well, social media now is changing to where you have to pay for it. I'm not the bearer bear of bad news. That's already most people know right. that that are out there. It's just that I have to now figure out a way to navigate in that change. And if I don't- And still stand out. And still stand, mm-hmm. stand out. And if I don't, I die. Yeah. Now, I have one thing going for me, good or bad. That you're good. Well, no. <laughs> Sorry. Is that, is that, and for a young, for a young photographer out there, there's mm-hmm. good news. The old ones are dying off. <laughs> meaning that I have a timestamp on my career, meaning that yeah. I'm not going to be doing it for another 50 years, right? Or 40 years. There's a time when even now at 63, I'm like, well, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I get tired at the things that I've done for 40 years. And I'm just like, I'm tired. And uh, so that, that, so my career starts to fade out and I taper it off because I want to go play golf. I don't play golf, by the way, but I want to do something. You used to live on a golf course. I do. <laughs> no, but I, I, I want to do something that's just not photography also. Yeah. Right. And maybe go. And even my wife, we, I bought a little Sprinter van. I've got yes. that little. Rubber. By the way, you need to wander your way up here and yeah, say hi up in hey, the, well, the, the free land up here. Don't be careful for the invite. Because you know the old saying, two days of guest, three days of pest, right? <laughs> well, see, you might want to be getting rid of right. But see, when but, I talked, back when I met you in 19, um, we talked and then I, m- my wife was there with me. And later on that, uh, after you were gone, uh, not dying of illness, um, she's like, I really want to meet his wife because oh, she must be fantastic. <laughs> she, she, she is. Um, so. she's, she's super. And she's not just sitting here. Um, I'd say that. I'd say that. Uh, I owe her a, a lot. Yeah. 
and she's my rock in a lot of ways too. It keeps me rolling. But, um, but no, my encouragement mm-hmm. is that we, we, there's this constant flux of change that we need to change with it. And it's, it's brutal sometimes to make those changes. So you, you know, you're doing podcasts, you're doing things, you're, you're, you're proactive. You're not sitting around doing nothing. Um, you know, uh, you're, you're probably laying in bed at night going, okay, hmm, that didn't work. Let's see, I'm going to try this or that did work. Let's try it again. Let's do it better. Let's do this. And so you're, you're constantly at, at the forefront of figuring it out. And just like you are training for the Olympics in four mm. years, you got to go every day and do your due diligence to get you to where you want to go. Yeah. Um, are, back kind of to the, the nature of the commercial industry. Um, are the creative directors of these big companies, are they still the same mindset or are they getting younger as well? which changes the game a little bit. (laughs) They're getting younger because I'm getting older, but, but you have to understand something that when you have someone in a position to hire you, um, that, and I always say that um, understanding human nature will, will, will make you a lot richer in life. Um, It'll get you a lot further in your career because when I deal with an art director or someone that's a, a creative director, art buyer, or photo editor, the, the first thing I realize is that they are under pressure from a boss hmm. who has a client. They have deadlines, budgets, and have restraints that they have to work under. And they want their life made easier. <laughs> right? So my job is to make sure that I deliver some really good pictures, but I make their, their job easy mm-hmm. because they're going to hire me again because I, the experience. yeah, I make them look good and, and I'm sensitive to things because they have, I know they have a boss, so they have someone accountable to, mm-hmm. and their, their boss is screaming at them. The client's screaming at the boss and, or they go, maybe the client's screaming at them too. So they have a lot of pressure on their shoulders and so that's my job is to take that pressure off. So when I'm on set, uh, you, you don't see me uh, generally in a panic mode. Hmm. I'm just as cool, as calm as can be because that's my job is to be calm and cool and make this shoot go really well. If there's a crisis, boom, I solve it. Yeah. I don't go around panicking and um, we get it done. And so... Um, so that's how I, I, I look at my client relationships and they're young. A lot of them are young. I could be their dad or even, I, I guess, maybe say grandpa. I don't know. Uh, but, and I also know this. Most people are very nervous about the creative process because the creative process is very subjective and they don't really know what they want. And they're afraid to, commit to any one thing too strongly because what if it's the wrong thing, right? So they're, they're, they're relying on you to be very confident in your creative uh-huh. uh, vision. So that's one of the things that, that I do is I say, I got the Joel Grimes, this look, I can do this in my sleep. Let's do it. If, that, if they say, let's go for it. And I go, okay, well, we're going to do it. I'll get it for you, guaranteed. And I deliver it. And, um, and so 
uh, that confidence really comes through. I, I, I've had more art directors come back to me. They'll, you know, use me and then they'll, you know, a couple months or whatever. And they go, yeah, we, we, we hired this little 24 year old rock star photographer and it was a disaster. And because on set, it's craziness. And they're they're things, learning on set at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And I'm, I'm the, the pillar. Hmm. Uh, and they want, they want that, they want that calm and, 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 um, you know, stability on set. That's not a panic zone, but, yeah. um, uh, and that comes with time. Hmm. Well, we could keep going for days cause this is fascinating to me. Um, and just the, the to see, you know, I, I've watched you progress and even in the few years that I've been watching you, um, Oh, one thing that I am curious about, how did you meet Russell Brown? So <laughs> those I that don't know, gone, Russell Brown is so crazy, I, this, I think. <laughs> yeah, I had this friend who sent me a clip, said, hey, check out this guy. He's a, uh, a Photoshop guy, Dr. Brown, you know, Dr. <laughs> Russell Brown, whatever. And, and the very first video I saw of Russell Brown, he had a wig on and it was like spiked hair. I think it was purple. <laughs> And he's like, Dr. Brown here. And he was like, like a math we're gonna learn how to, right. yeah, we're going to learn how to do uh, layers and whatever, you know? Mm. And, you know, he goes, and so that was my, that was my first exposure. I'm like, I, and I called my friend up and I said, this guy's nuts. <laughs> and that's the only video I had of him. I didn't see him in other, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I go, but I kind of learned something, you know? So anyways, so then I'm in LA. I have my studio downtown LA, uh, the factory lofts and, um, I get this email. This is Russell Brown. And uh, I'm in LA and I see you're in LA. I would like to come by your studio if you're around. <laughs> and I, I look at the name, Russell Brown. And I'm thinking, because I didn't hear it like the Russell Brown, Dr. Russell Brown right. show, whatever. And I'm like, Russell Brown. Well, I know that name, <laughs> Russell Brown. I go, this can't be that same guy. So I type back, is this? The Russell Brown with the Dr. <laughs> Russell Brown, whatever show. He goes, it is. And I said, you're crazy. No, you said that. You're, you're a nutcase, something like that. <laughs> but yeah, come on by, right? Nice. So he comes in and he looks normal. And he's just this guy and comes into my studio and he, he sits down and we're sitting there. And he, he's, he's like, cool studio. Yeah, you know. Well, he's, I've been kind of watching your stuff, following you a little bit and everything. And he goes, um, do you like to, do you like to talk? Like give lectures and stuff? I go, yeah, I've been doing that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, different events. Would you like to, uh, do a talk, uh, for, um, whatever, something that he's doing, would you like to be a part of what I'm doing? And I go, <laughs> sure, sure. I go, I go, but I got a question for you. Who, who, I mean, are you, do you, do you work for yourself? I mean, are you on the circuit as a teacher? What do you do? He goes, oh, I work for Adobe. <laughs> I go, you do? He goes, yeah. He goes, you didn't know I worked for Adobe? I go, no. I go, I don't know anything about you. He goes, I'm the one that brought Adobe the Photoshop. I'm the one that went out and got Photoshop and had Adobe look at it. And then they brought and bought uh, Photoshop. So he, he goes, I've been there from basically day one. Wow. And I go, I didn't know that. <laughs> right. So, 
So we got to laughing about it a little bit and stuff. And then we became really good friends and we've been doing trips together and we see each other. I talk to him probably every, every, every month or so. Mm. Um, and he is a nutcase still to this day. He's just a great guy. <laughs> I like him. He's, he's got his little quirks and he, he just, he's done a lot for me in the industry uh, over the years and, and my boys, he's even included my boys in a lot of things. And that's so cool. that's how that all happened. But it was, it was funny. I, I only had one video of him prior to him walking <laughs> into my studio. And I thought this guy, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, another thing that you do tell people out loud um, that you're colorblind, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's the greatest thing that I possess as an artist. And it's, it's really kind of a funny thing. And, and, and um, the reason why I say that very boldly is because for years I hit it. I didn't like tell clients I was colorblind. Um, but uh, my colorblindness really has shaped the look of my work mm -hmm. and the, the overall, I guess you'd say color grading or whatever the tones that I use in my images and people want to copy me and say, how does Joel Grimes get his look? The first time that happened, I was, um, not involved with uh, Scott Kelby or Kelby uh, at the time was Kelby training. Now it's Kelby one. I was not involved in them at all, but I knew about them. I had actually signed up for uh, their, their, uh, I guess, yearly, whatever subscription to their courses. And I was kind of getting, you know, I wanted to learn. Right. And I, I just happened to be flipping through something and I came up across this blog and it was Scott Kelby blog, his blog. And it, the whole discussion was, how does Joel Grimes get the look that he does in Photoshop? <laughs> For real? And I'm like, what? <laughs> They're discussing me? Right. You know? And I, I about passed out. And then that wasn't that long after that. I got a phone call from them. And, and uh, there's a lot of surprises in this industry that I've, I've been just completely baffled by. And that was one of them. Um, and so, so, you know, again, my colorblindness does play into that. And... Um, so now I embrace it. Um, if you could find a cure for colorblindness, I'd, well, I probably wouldn't even take it at this point. I'm like, well, you, you've gotten such a, a system down. It would be difficult to, that'd be like seeing new for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I say, you know, if you're, if you're eight foot or seven foot two, or if you're four foot two, that plays into what you do, what mm -hmm. your choices you make in life. And in, in a way it's a good thing. It's a good thing, no matter what you are. Even being bald. That's right. Is a good thing. <laughs> it's so much easier. I, well, I don't have to carry a comb. That's right. And you know, you, you know, it's really funny now. Every time I go to one of the, one of the one, like the restaurant or you know, you walk in and there's that little the gel to clean yeah. your hands. I always go and I go and then I just. Put Are it you on serious? <laughs> like gel is like clean that bald head. Nice. You know, but um. No, it, it, it's, it's, you have to embrace who you are and not complain about who you are. You know, my wife and I are getting older and you look in the mirror and you go, um, I always say, I feel like a wax candle. that got a little close to the heat, you know, <laughs> it's all coming it's south, it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and my wife's all like, I got good gray hair. And I said to my wife, you know, honey, you're beautiful. But I said, you know what really is more beautiful? is a woman who's getting older, who embraces it, mm. who doesn't try to hide it. And the same thing with anything in life is I'm getting older. Who cares? Do I need to win over a 22 year old? No. You know, so we were driving down the road and Amy said to me, yeah, would you marry me all over again? <laughs> and I said, oh, of course not. 
I go, you got four kids. You got a lot of, <laughs> lot of baggage here. I would marry a woman with four kids. So she kind of, you know, hits me, I guess. <laughs> and so then um, I said, um, no, she said, if, if I died, um, would you remarry? Right. And I said, well, I'd let, I'd let the, I'd let maybe two weeks go by. I'll let the dust settle a little right. bit. A little bit of grass growing first. It's fine. And she goes, well, who would you marry? I said, of course, a young hottie. And then she, she were driving and she looks over and she goes, good luck with that. Nice. <laughs> but she got she, me back. She's, she's gone on to that. something there, right? Yeah. But no, we, we poke fun at each other. Yeah. But no, but, but, you know, we all age. And that's, I think that's the beauty of life is that I'm not going to always have my youth and my, my, uh, I can't always pick up a truck. Like now I can't pick up my cameras, you know, I'm getting older, but <laughs> that's the beauty of life. We adjust to that and we, we, um, it drives us down a different path and, um, uh, we have to embrace that. Yeah. Um, as you've seen the, and this will kind of be my, I'll, I'll end with this kind of concept here. Um, as you've seen the digital world progress a bit in the camera world, um, where is that going? Like with, with the advent of phenomenal camera systems in your phones now, um, yeah. the, 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 the computational photography that's happening inside these chips now, um, and then the, the mirrorless systems that are really, in, I mean, I, I think, and you can certainly tell me more, um, if this is the case, but it seems like they are um, becoming good enough to edge out the old SLR model style model. Um, is that, is that where it's at? Like, is that the next step? And so the old is, is becoming, is an SLR the film of the new digital world? No, Here, here's what I would say. It still takes a, an artist to, to create. Mm-hmm. So you got to be an artist, number one, and you can take a six megapixel camera, or let's just say that's that's really old. But let's just say you get a little Rebel, uh, eighteen mega, mm-hmm. megapixel Rebel that's five years old. I could build a portfolio with that camera. Yeah. Okay. So I could build a portfolio that would allow me to get hundred thousand dollar jobs with that camera. So it's not the camera. Now, yes, the eye tracking that we have in the new mirrorless uh, is insane. Mirrorless, it's crazy, crazy, yeah. right? The optics is where the mirrorless really mm. come alive. But it still takes an artist to create. You don't need a 50 megapixel, 45 megapixel camera to build a portfolio. So people complain, I have this 30 megapixel, but I, you know, I want to get a 50 megapixel because I, mean, I want to be up there with, uh, no, you don't need a 30 megapixel to build a portfolio. You can build, actually, you could build a, a portfolio with, I think, six megapixels. If you look at the resolution of, your, of a website. Oh, yeah. You don't need that big of a camera, right? Mm-hmm. A resolution wise. Um, so it's not the gear. So we, I love gear. I talk a lot about gear. Um, I love the new mirrorless. Um, but if, 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 if the world came to an end uh, in terms of producing cameras and all I had was a little rebel uh, you know, or whatever, I could, I could create a portfolio. So it's, it really comes down to create a body of work that represents you as an artist and get clients hmm. get work right and um you know um and sometimes i think we have i i have to 
keep myself in check because I'm carrying, you know, eight lenses. Do I need eight lenses? No. <laughs> you can pretty much probably do everything with, you could have three lenses, but really you could have one lens. My 24 to 70, 2.8, I could do everything with that mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, yes, I like my 51.2. I have an 85.12. Those are beautiful, soft focus, uh, bokeh lenses. I like to use those on occasion to throw out the background. But, um, you know, and I'm a wide angle guy too. So I like my 15, I saw the new 1535, uh, 1535.2.8. It's a great, I have my tilt shift lenses. I love using those too. But no, I could, I could, I could build a portfolio with one lens, one camera, one lens, a, a equivalent to 24 to 70. And so um, my encouragement to anyone is that, yes, you say, um, I need a new this, I need a new that. Um, people email me all the time. I want to make a shift from this. Should I get this? Should I get this strobe light? Is this brand better than that brand? Um, that's, again, uh, that's, that's options that you might have if you have a trust fund. So, the, so but, the, but that's the wrong question then. It's the wrong right. question. Yeah. The question is, is what are you doing with what you have right now to go out and build a portfolio, mm -hmm. body of work? And uh, I'll give you a little example real quick. And we'll, we'll end with this. And this, I hope, will encourage people to go out and create a body of work with what they love. And this is how I think, and this is how I've come after all these years. So if I can give you a $10,000 tip, uh, <laughs> if not maybe a $100,000 or a million dollar tip, this is the tip. So I ask people, how would you like to be the number one wedding photographer in your city? Wherever it is, you live in Nebraska or you live in the middle of Podunk, USA. How would you like to be in that community, the number one wedding photographer. Someone said, I would love that. And so the, 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 the first thing I would say is this, is that when you look at human behavior and how people buy something, or they make a decision to purchase something, you have to understand what's in their mind as they're making that purchase. So you say, you know, I have a really good portfolio. I've shot all these weddings. And I got some pretty good wedding stuff. And so I throw that on the table and people look at it and they yawn and they leave. They don't buy. Why aren't they buying? The only way I get a wedding is I'm cheap. I'm the cheapest person in town. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not a good place to be. So how do I go and become the one, number one wedding photographer in town? Well, first of all, you have to think about what goes through the mother and the bride as they prepare for a wedding. What are they doing to make the decision-making process that they do? So number one, the, the mother says, okay, uh, you know, dad's done pretty well this year. We have a budget. We have a budget of uh, $30,000. I don't know. Okay. That's For about right nowadays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And the venue is going to be 12 grand. This is going to be that, you know, the, the dress, the cake, the, all of the, the food, all this stuff. So we have, um, so what did I say? 10%, 10% of the budget is usually thrown <laughs> at the photographer, yeah. you know, I don't know, but but, but let's just say that's true. And so a $30,000 wedding, uh, you might be able to get 3000 bucks out of that wedding mm -hmm. uh, for your uh, doing a wedding. But, but before that, how do you get them to choose you? And so what's going through the mind of the mother and the bride when they go look for a photographer? Well, they've been looking at bridal magazines. They've been looking at Pinterest. And what are they looking mm -hmm. at? 
magazine shots. Yeah, absolutely (laughs) stunning images of beautiful models and beautiful dresses, beautiful lighting, beautiful little churches, beautiful whatever. And then they come to your portfolio and you got a picture, you got pictures of some really good weddings that you've done, but they're not models. Mm -hmm. They're not what we'd call the industry standard, you know, good looking guy, a good looking girl, right? (laughs) Now, um, have you ever been to a wedding where you look at the bride and she's absolutely gorgeous and her, the groom is pudgy, bald, (laughs) double chin, you know, and you're going, how did this guy get that girl? Well, you know, he must have a lot of money. Hey, were you looking at my wedding? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But the point is, is that you, you, a lot of times you get a good bride, but then the groom looks like a dud, you know, Mm -hmm. he looks like a, you know, whatever, or you get a good looking guy and and whatever. So my, here's my thing. You want to make, you want to be the number one wedding photographer. Here's what you do. And every wedding photographer that I know that is literally making huge amounts of money, they go out, they find a gorgeous, beautiful model, a bride and groom. They go out and they work a deal out with a bridal uh, shop. They get the best of the current dresses, current makeup. They go and they find a really cute little church and they get permission, maybe throw a couple hundred bucks and they say, I want to go and have the bride and the groom busting through the front doors of this little white church in the middle, you know, that you find off some little road in the middle of nowhere, back hills. And you rent that little church and you have your lights set up and you throw a bunch of rose petals in the air and the bride and the groom busting through the doors and you go click and it's an ad campaign looking photograph. Mm -hmm. You put that in your portfolio and you'll have a line out the door. That's what they're looking at. That's what you have to give them. Now I had people boo me when I was on stage when I said that once, because they're like, that's not real life. Well, what do you mean? It's not real life. (laughs) It is to the bride and groom who are choosing a photographer. It's real life. It may not be, (laughs) I would never be chosen as a model (laughs) as a groom model. Yeah. But it's what they're looking for. And that's how you win over clients. That's mm-hmm. how I've built my whole portfolio is when I go and photograph athletes, when I was building all my athletes to, to build that look, I got, I didn't get a pudgy fat person to be a track runner. <laughs> right. And even when I picked a track runner, I got a good looking one. I don't care how fast he was. Mm-hmm. I cared how good he looked. So that's how I built my portfolio is I create the standard that you have to, to reach is the advertising standard, mm-hmm. what they're looking at in magazines and on Pinterest. That's the images you need to go and reproduce. So you may not agree with me on that. Uh, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but um, if you want to build a really cool uh, living with your camera, go out and recruit good looking subjects. So is that kind of something across the board, like even in the commercial world, like if you want to go after cars, yep, do you, yep. you didn't find people with cars and shoot them? Well, no, you, you, well, you find the current car, you, you know, you look at a, you look at a car shooter in LA, mm-hmm. you look at the portfolio, mm-hmm. they have a, a, a Range Rover that's no, that's not any older than one or two years old in their portfolio. They don't have a Range Rover that's 10 years old in there or an ad they took 10 years ago. All their cars are either super new mm-hmm. or super vintage, meaning they might have some old vintage right. cars that are really well done. But they don't go and ha- you don't put up an 86 Buick picture <laughs> in your portfolio of a car. Yeah. 
And so I had this photographer call me up and he's literally in tears. I can't get any work. I said, okay, all right, stop. I was the king of Tucson or whatever it was that, at the time. I was the number one wedding photographer in town. I can't get anyone to hire me. And I said, sit down, calm down, sit down. I go, are you in your studio? He had actually a studio in his home where people would come in and his gallery. I said, describe the number one picture on your wall that you really like. He goes, well, this is bride, whatever. I go, how old is that? He goes, well, I shot it 12 years ago. Mm. <clears throat> That's why you're not getting more work. Because wedding photographers have gotten really good in 12 years. The styles have changed. The makeup has changed. The hairstyles have changed. Everything's changed in 12 years. You can't have a picture in there that's 12 years old. You can't. And I got to go through my stuff. I got some old images. I got to start throwing out. It's hard. I'm attached to them. Right. <laughs> my babies. Yeah. But I got to let go of them because I got to put new stuff in there. And um, so that's what I see with photographers. That's why they, they end up starting out really well and they die because they don't understand the marketplace. And, um, you know, and guess what? I'm barely a C student, <laughs> you know? but I have some insight to this marketplace yeah. and uh, it served me well. Well, Joel, I appreciate this. Um, I, I've got a gob of questions I'd like to dig into that are not photography related, but that will be the next podcast. So, yes. um, well, I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I, I'm full of opinions <laughs> and that's and fun. Lots, that's what I love. about. I have it. lots of advice <laughs> and my kids said, well, thanks dad, but no, thanks. That's why they live in LA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't listen to me. You right. know, they do come back under every once in a while yeah. and go, you know, you were right when you said that. So. Yeah, they get, they get they get older, that has to happen. Um yeah. uh joelgrimes.com is there where's the best place for people to follow you uh and find out the things you're doing, uh the educational items that you are Well, everything uh, now runs through joelgrimes.com. If you want okay. to see my portfolio, you can go to joelgrimes joelgrimes.com and then hit on portfolio. Mm -hmm. And then scroll above and then it goes into my port of my portfolio or just portfolio.joelgrimes.com will get you right to my site. Look at my images, take a look at what I'm doing. Um, on the educational side, I mean, there might be something there. I don't push my, my educational stuff. I mean, if people want it, um, if you're on my list, by the way, are you on my list, educational list? Okay, so. <laughs> You'll get an email every single every day. Every day. <laughs> so, here, so let me ask you something. Mm -hmm. Do you get an email from B&H every day? Maybe yeah. not being nice. Oh, yeah. I no, I do. I, I do. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And I have a couple of little clothing yep. companies that I buy clothes from. I get an email from every day. Mm -hmm. And people, they, they criticize me and they say, well, yeah, you know, you're just every day we get an email from me. That's right. Right. Because that's, that's what the only everyone way. does. Yeah. And my guys that are my marketing guys, um, uh, to put things in perspective, they track every single point of contact that if you open one of my emails, it's registered and that mm -hmm. you opened it up. If you buy some, it's registered. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think they said in 2020, I had 5 million points of contact. That's not counting. If you didn't, if you didn't open, that doesn't count. That's just touching so, the email. Somehow going mm -hmm. in, either yep. purchasing, looking, browsing, whatever, mm -hmm. 5 million people have come into observe what I am doing. And that's why mm. it takes a team to do that. Um, and so that's the world we live in now. And um, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but um, 
Luckily, I'm I'm too old to learn how to do it myself. I got a team. So these doing young it. kids got, are for. <laughs> I got to pay them a lot to do that, but it, yeah. it's it's I'm fortunate in that regard. Mm-hmm. But um, now if you get on my list, you're going to get a lot of emails. But you can just say, you know, I'll try try what Joel's all about. <laughs> Maybe you've never heard of me well, before. But. It's interesting because we we emailed back and forth a little bit a year ago, um, and then the life happened, um, and so when I was going back to find your uh, that email from. Uh, last year when I wanted to talk to you about this show and uh, as I was digging through there I was amazed at the amount because I I I look at them um, every now and then because half of the stuff that you do I'm absolutely just intrigued with Um, and so it was fascinating to me because I hadn't put them all in one group before yeah well so my my marketing guy that 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 runs the the thing the company that I'm hired they, he came to me when we sat down the very first time. He said, Joel, um, we're going to go and hit you on a level you've never seen before. And I'm like, I felt very uncomfortable about that. I said, how many emails do you do a month? He goes, well, no, it's like, you're asking the wrong question. How many emails do we do a day? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I go, but that's oversaturating the market. Is that I don't want to be that kind of person. And he said, well, let me, let me put it in this perspective. You can, you can take the hit and someone's going to unsubscribe you and grumble mm-hmm. and say, Joel's overdone it and whatever, or you can make a good living. Mm. And uh, the same thing happens when I make a cold call. They're gonna, someone's going to tell me this, you know, get out of their life, quit calling, whatever. But then there's someone that calls and they call me, hire me, right? So I lost, I'm sure I lost some people by you know, saying Joel's overdone it. Um, but um, you know, it's the only way now as an instructor to make a living mm-hmm. is to oversaturate that market. You have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where I'm at today. And I've gotten some, some, some criticism from it. And I just have to take the criticism. Yeah, but it's working. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, uh, this is the interview. Um, and Joel Grimes, thank you once again for taking the time. It's been a couple hours and I, well, I know, don't be I know your time I, is valuable. So I, don't be surprised if I show up on your doorstep. Please do. I mean and, that. And, I mean and, that. <laughs> uh, it would be fun. We it would be a fun trip to go up It'd there. Be a it's blast, a beautiful yeah. country up there, mm-hmm. and uh, enjoyed it. Too bad I was sick that last time. Oh, I know. You know, I talk. I, there's a couple times I've been really sick at a speaking event, mm-hmm. and that was one of them where you just you you ache yeah. every inch of your body, and I didn't even want to get near people. I'm like, okay, and that was before COVID, right? Right. But it was like. I was like, oh, hi, you know, and I was trying to <laughs> fist pump, you know, people to, yeah. uh, you know, just like, I don't feel good at all. And, and you're like, I wish I could not be here, right. but then you want to be here. Cause you like the, you know, but it was pretty mm-hmm. rough. So you saw me at a rough time. Well, but- I'm glad. And I'm very appreciative to Jake, uh, Jake Graman for setting that up, but, yeah. um, it's, it, it's been huge. Um, and then I, I do have that. See, that's the stuff you could see. I know um, the Badlands. I just put a picture of the Badlands. I, I love took it. back then. I love it. Uh, well, it's gorgeous. Little yeah, I'll spring. I'll we'll come visit. We'll come visit. Let's do it. That'd be a blast. Uh, I'd a big, love it. Big trip. That'd be so. fun. Uh, the interview whymailblank at gmail dot com is our email address. The website whymailblank dot com. Uh, if you uh, have a story to tell, or you want to be a part of this and help support this product uh, and this project that we do here in Millbank, send us an email. Uh, I'm Craig Weinberg. Thank you once again for listening. And Joel, thanks so much for taking the time and uh, 
sharing all kinds of wisdom that you have. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. You. It's been a blast. So have a great day. Thanks for listening, everybody. Happy New Year, and we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>